0: Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. I hope that you are redeemed. You know the Lord. We are looking in the book of Proverbs This summer, a few different scriptures, I'll begin reading in chapter 12 today, but we're going to be doing a lot of walking around. When you think about Proverbs, very practical for life, and Solomon wrote Proverbs and he also wrote Ecclesiastes as an older man, and I'm going to be referring to some to Ecclesiastes, because I'm sure that by the time he got to that age where he was writing Ecclesiastes, he had a few more things to add about our subject today. We're going to talk about friendship, being a friend, being a faithful friend, BFF. Now, when I say BFF, you're thinking of best friends forever. It's incredible, though, sometime when you have time, not now on your smartphone, but later Just type in BFF in the search line. (laughs) You'd be amazed at all that that stands for. And some of them are comical. Some of them are just ridiculous. But today we're going to talk about being a faithful friend. It's interesting when you do a search online about songs about friendship. They span the decades. Back in the 60s, you had the Beatles singing with a little help from my friends. James Taylor comes along in the 70s and says and sings, You've Got a Friend. And, then, and also in the 70s, believe it or not, before the Golden Girls, Thank You for Being a Friend was performed by Andrew Gold. He wrote that, actually made number 25 on the charts. And then later, Cynthia Fee sang it, and you know it from when the Golden Girls began. And I guarantee if I started that song, most everyone in here my age could finish it. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down a road back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. And if you were to invite all the friends and so forth. But that's not what we're going to do today. Of course, then Bill Withers comes in the 70s, sings Lean on Me. Also, I'm sure most of you listened to Queen. You're my best friend in 1976. Wind Beneath My Wings in the 80s, Bette Midler. That's what friends are for, Dionne Warwick and friends in the 80s. Then comes Garth in the 90s. I got friends in low places. (laughs) And some of you weren't born then, but you're going to remember this from the movie, You've Got a Friend in Me. You got a friend in me. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed, you just remember what your old pal said, boy, you got a friend in me. Yeah, you got a friend in me from Toy Story. There are different kinds of friends, acquaintances, people that you know. Maybe you can't remember their name, but you say hi to them whenever you see them at the grocery store or the bank or the post office. You have some casual friends that you you see them more often than acquaintances, usually at the same place. Maybe you're in the same civic club, you're on a committee, or your children are friends with their children, or you see them at church or school activities. You have some close friends. You visit them at their house or invite them over to your house. You might go hunting or fishing or shopping or golfing together. You sit and talk with them for hours. You enjoy being with them. And then there are intimate friends And you have very few of those. They're friends that share your soul. When Solomon wrote these Proverbs in Ecclesiastes, I wonder sometimes if he wondered who his real friends were. Because after all, he was the wealthiest man in the world, and he was the wisest man in the world, and he had a lot of power, and he was the king. And he probably wondered, do people like me for who I am, or do they really like me for who I am? for what I do or for the position I hold, or do they like me for who I am? And so he mentioned several things about friends throughout Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. I want to call your attention to that for a few moments. And you have to ask yourself, am I being a faithful friend? Well, let's begin on the negative side and look at the wrong friends. In Proverbs 12, 26, it says, the righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. And then in Proverbs 22, verse 24, Make no friendship with an angry man and with with a furious man. Do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. Young people, you need to choose your friends carefully. But old people, you need to do it too. Who are you hanging out with? There are a lot of people who've gone into eternity without God simply because they chose the wrong friends and hung out with the wrong people. Our jails are filled with people who have chosen to run with the wrong crowd. It matters who you run with. Now Solomon's not saying be a jerk and not be friendly. You just don't become friends. You be friendly with people, but you don't become friends with people who are headed down the wrong path. If you think about it, there's only one letter between the word friend and fiend. You take the R out of it. And if you're a friend of somebody who has a lot of anger issues, they can put you at risk. If you're not careful, choosing the wrong friends will cause us damage. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And then you're always going to have those fair-weather friends, those friends who are only there when they need something from you or when things are going well. And I'm sure that even Solomon wondered because in Proverbs 19, 4, he says, wealth brings many friends, but a poor man's friends desert him. So you may need to think about who you're hanging with, and maybe it's time to do something a little different. I got amused at a man who called and got a wrong number, and he heard the answering machine, and the answering machine said this, I'm not available right now, but I thank you enough for caring to call. I'm making some changes in my life. Please leave a message after the beep. If I don't return your call, you're one of the changes. (laughs) I kind of like that, actually. (laughs) And maybe you've got to do something a little bit different. But now, let's go from that and, and talk about the right friends, the right kind of friends. And these friends are going to have several characteristics that are going to help you. And if you're the right kind of friend, you're going to have these characteristics as you help other people. So let's look at them quickly. I'll go to Proverbs 27, verse 6. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Verse 9. Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend Gives delight by hearty counsel. Verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. The first thing characteristic we see is that a, the right kind of friend will be a contributing associate. They're going to give you something. You know, you didn't get a cho- choice to choose your relatives, did you? Would you have chosen your relatives? Don't answer that. But friends are relatives you make for yourself. And you wind up doing things for other people. There was a man who was asked about a competitor down the street and the relationship that he had with that competitor down the street. Here's what he said. There's nothing in the world I wouldn't do for Bill Johnson. And there's nothing in the world he wouldn't do for me. And that's how we spend our lives. We go through life doing nothing for each other. Well, that's not friendship. Friends contribute to one another. Friendship doubles our joy. It can also half our grief. So how does a real friend contribute to you? First of all, he stands behind you. Stands behind you. In his book, Encouragement, the Key to Caring, Dr. Larry Crabb recalls an incident in church that he attended as a young man. And in that particular church, the young men were encouraged to participate in the communion services by praying out loud. Now, I don't know if you've ever led in public prayer, but sometimes it can make you a little nervous. And he was dreading it. He was feeling the pressure because Larry had a problem with stuttering, And when he stood up to pray, he was so nervous, he got confused in what he said. And here's what he said. He He recalls, he writes this in his book, thanking the Father for hanging on the cross and praising Christ for triumphantly bringing the Spirit from the grave. Well, when he finished, he knew he had messed up. And he vowed that he would never again speak or pray out loud in front of a group. And at the end of the service, not wanting to meet any of the church elders who might feel constrained to correct his theology, he made for the door. But before he could get out, an older man by the name of Jim Dunbar caught him. And he prepared himself for the anticipated correction, and Crab instead found him listening to these words. He said, Larry, there's one thing I want you to know that whatever you do for the Lord, I'm behind you 1,000%. He reflects in his book, even as I write these words, my eyes fill with tears. I have yet to tell that story to an audience without at least mildly choking up. Those words were life words. They had power. They reached deep into my being. Real friends speak life into you when you need it the most. They not only stand behind you, but they stand beside you. A true friend will strengthen you. They're the kind of folks that I've heard called parsley people. Y'all know what parsley is? It's that little green weed that grows in the alley they put on your plate (laughs) sometimes. Or at least it looks like an alley weed to me. Parsley people, I don't know anybody that eats that. If you do, you got to be the only one on earth that does. So why do they put it on your plate? Because it makes the plate look good. Puts color on the plate. It makes it look beautiful. That's what parsley people do. They stand beside you. And they contribute to you. They... Want you to be successful. They want you as a friend to look good in the eyes of people. They'll always have fair weather friends. They're never around until they need you. I saw a cartoon, The Born Loser, where the boss is talking to Thornapple, who's the character in the cartoon. And the boss says, Thornapple, I can see that you've been in the dumps. Let me share something with you. Remember, when the chips are down and your back is against the wall, you need a friend to see you through. And then the boss says, when things get better, give me a call. Best friends give you steadfast loyalty. They walk into your house when the whole world walks out. There's an old saying country people have, goes like this, when your last dog dies, I will still be sitting on your front porch. They stand beside you. They also stand before you. You see, a real friend, a true friend is going to motivate you and inspire you. Sometimes wounds of truth come out of them because they love you. the clubhouse at a golf course, an old friend saw Bill. Bill used to play golf with George. He said, why aren't you playing with George anymore? And Bill said, well, would you play golf with a guy who's always improving his ball position, occasionally slips a tee under his ball in the fairway and regularly lies about his score? His friend said, no. And Bill said, well, George won't either. (laughs) You see, sometimes... Friends tell you the truth. We need to be the kind of people who lift others up rather than dragging them down. People ought to say that they're a better person because of the influence of their friend. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. A contributing associate. Real friends don't just suck the life out of you. They are also a caring and compassionate attendant. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Ecclesiastes 4, 10 10 says, If one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Folks, there's going to be time in your life when you fall down, when you have a low time. Years ago, the Seattle Special Olympics—they're the ones that have either physical or mental disabilities. There were eleven, no, nine of them. Nine of them lined up to run the hundred-meter sprint dash. The gun sounded, and they took off, not necessarily in a dash, but they were doing the best they could because they wanted to win, all except one little boy who stumbled out of the gate. He fell on the asphalt, and he tumbled three or four times began to cry. The other eight heard him crying and stopped, turned around and saw him and went back to get him. One little girl with Down syndrome reached down and kissed him and said, that'll make it better. And then they all, got, all nine of them got up and walked hand in hand across the finish line. And people in the stadium went crazy for several minutes cheering. And people who were there were still telling the story. Why? Because deep down we all know this one thing, that what matters in life is more than just winning. It's helping others win, even if it means slowing down and changing our life to do it. A friend loves at all time, and a brother is born for adversity. Isn't it something we think a friend is only for the good times, but to make a laugh or to make us laugh and have fun. But here in the Bible, it tells us that a friend is there to help us get through tough times also. Real friends are those when you make a fool of yourself, don't think you've done a permanent job of it. Ecclesiastes 4.11 also says, and if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? We need each other. Ben Patterson in leadership said, people in the church are like porcupines in a snowstorm. We need each other to keep warm, but we prick each other if we get too close. But there are a lot of cold times in life when people need a friend, when they're having relationship problems or they're having health problems or they're having financial problems. People come in here, they have problems. This is not a problem-free zone. In fact, all of us in here have them. Y'all know who Chuck Swindoll is, has written a number of books, been a pastor for many years. But I want to read something that He wrote. He said, an old Marine Corps buddy of mine, to my pleasant surprise, came to know Christ after he was discharged. I say surprised because he cursed loudly, fought hard, chased women, drank heavily, loved war and weapons, and hated chapel service. A number of months ago, I ran into this fellow, and after we had talked a while, he put his hand on my shoulder and said, you know, Chuck, the only thing I miss is that old fellowship I used to have with all the guys down at the tavern. I remember how we used to sit around and let our hair down. I can't find anything like that for Christians. I no longer have a place to admit my faults and talk about my battles where somebody won't preach at me and frown and quote me a verse. Chuck Swindoll goes on to say, it wasn't a month later that in my reading, I came across this profound paragraph. The neighborhood bar is possibly the best counterfeit that there is to the fellowship Christ wants to give his church it's an imitation dispensing liquor instead of grace escape rather than reality but it is a permissive accepting and inclusive fellowship it's unshockable it's a democratic you can tell people secrets and they usually don't tell others or even want to the bar flourishes not because, almost, because most people are alcoholics, but because God has put in the human heart the desire to know and be known, to love and to be loved, and so many seek a counterfeit at the price of a few beers. With all my heart, I believe that Christ wants His church to be unshockable, a fellowship where people can come in and say, I'm sunk, I'm beat, I've had it. Alcoholics Anonymous has this quality. Our churches too often miss it. He continues. Now, before you take up arms to shoot some wag that would compare your church to the corner bar, stop and ask yourself some tough questions like I had to. Make a list of possible embarrassing situations people may not know how to handle. A woman discovers her husband is a practicing homosexual. Where in the church can she find help where she's secure with her secret? Your mate talks about separation or divorce. To whom do you tell it? Your daughter's pregnant. She's run away for the third time. She's no longer listening to you. Who do you tell that to? You lost your job and it was your fault. You blew it, so there's shame mixed with unemployment. Who do you tell that to? Financially, you were unwise and you're in deep trouble or a wife's man is an alcoholic or something as horrible as getting back the biopsy from the surgeon and it reveals cancer and the prognosis isn't good or you had an emotional breakdown. To whom do you tell that to? We're the only outfit I know that shoots its wounded. We can become the most severe, condemning, judgmental guilt Guilt giving people on the face of the planet, and we claim it's in the name of Jesus Christ, and all the while we don't even know we're doing it. That's the pathetic part of it all. That is a convicting paragraph. Folks, all of us in here have trouble. I want to read a quote to you of somebody that I never quote. Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> but I agree with this statement. Lots of people want to ride with you in the limo, but what you want is someone who will take the bus with you when the limo breaks down. A Caring and compassionate attendant. They're also a consistent ally. Proverbs 18.24, a man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken to be consistent, to be a great friend. Do you have any great friends? I I put an acrostic in there because I want to share this with you. A great friend, first of all, is good for you. Good friends help you find important things when you've lost them. Things like your smile, things like your hope, things like your encouragement or your, your courage. When you lose that, friends help you find that again. They're also respectful of you. No matter what you've done, they still treat you like a person. They still understand that you're human, that you make mistakes. The third thing is they are encouraging to you. There's nothing like the encouragement from a friend. The A stands stands for being accountable to each other. They hold you accountable. They'll tell you the hard stuff. What in the world are you doing? They'll go after you when you make a mistake. Sometimes friends don't respond when you go after them. It breaks your heart. The T means they're trustworthy to each other. That's a great friend. I bet you can count that many friends you have on one hand. Now, I want you to remember something. Everyone. Y'all know what everyone means? And I do mean everyone. Everyone. Got it? Everyone you meet is afraid of something. Everyone you meet loves something. Everyone you meet has lost something. God created in us the need to be with other people. Years ago, when the West was being settled, that old phrase, go West, young man, people were leaving the East and coming out here and settling the West because they could have squatters' rights, they could lay a claim and they could have land for free and they would come out here and they would stake their claim and then they would build their hut right in the middle of their property. Later photographers would come out and see how they were doing and they would find pictures of women who looked wild-eyed and, and the men were prematurely old and stooped and the children looked scared and they were easily defeated by the Indians and the elements because they were going it alone. And they learned that when they then began to build their homes on the corners of their property next to their neighbors that they could survive. Survive. You see arches. All an arch is is two weaknesses leaning together to make something super strong. That's what friends are. David and Jonathan, two best friends in the Old Testament. Unlike a lot of men today, Jonathan and David spoke to each other about their commitment to the Lord. In 1 Samuel 20 verse 42, it says, We've sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord. trustworthy i'm going to read you something you're going to want a copy of it i'll mail it to you or email it to you the abcs of friends a accepts you as you are b believes in you c calls you just to say hi d doesn't give up on you e envisions the whole of you even the unfinished parts F, forgives your mistakes. G, gives unconditionally. H, helps you. J, just wants to be with you. K, keeps you close at heart. L, loves you for who you are. M, makes a difference in your life. N, never judges. O, offers support. P, picks you up. Q, quiets your heart, quiets your fears. R, raises your spirits. S, says nice things about you. T, tells you the truth when you need to hear it. U understands you. V values you. W walks beside you. X explains things you don't understand. Y yells when you won't listen. And Z zaps you back to reality. Strangers are friends just waiting to happen. But let me tell you about the most important friend you'll ever have the redeeming friend. John 15, 13, Jesus said, Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. you no, longer do what, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask in the Father, in my, ask the Father in my name, He may give you. How is Jesus your friend? First of all, He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you better than anyone else. Isn't it amazing that Jesus knows everything about you and still loves you and still says, I want to be your friend? Nobody else knows that. He knows every mistake you'll ever make and he still says, I want to be your friend. In Matthew 19, he is called the friend of publicans and sinners, and even those 12 guys that we have somehow labeled the holy apostles. There's nothing holy about them. Bunch of smelly, lying fishermen. And Jesus hung out with them for three years. Changed their life, obviously. It gives me great joy to know that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Amen. Y'all are worse than eight o'clock crowd today. Come on. i I, They have an excuse. They just got here in the morning, but y'all are, y'all should be awake by now. This is not a hard sermon. Listen, the last two Sundays have been killers. I thought you needed a break today. Can you imagine, why, why, why would God love us? Why would he love us? Why would Jesus come after us? Think about it. As sorry and sinful as we are. And, and he, knows, he knows everything that no one else knows. And yet we're told there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. I have, to, I have to keep reminding myself that because if you folks knew how I really was, you wouldn't let me be the pastor. Yeah, I get mad. I do. I, I'm human just like you. Some of y'all are shocked when you see me out in public and I'm not in my coat and tie. I wear this on Sunday morning because I want to wear the best I have when I come to meet the Lord. If I was gonna go see the president, I'd wear the best that I have. It's the best I have. If you wear, I don't care. I don't judge other people what they wear, but I wear a suit and tie on Sunday, and I wear a suit and tie when I do a funeral, and I wear a suit and tie when I do a wedding. Other than that, they hang in my closet. Well, you're not wearing your tie. You're you're wearing jeans. You see, y'all don't know everything about me. You think you do. Some of my family sitting over here, my youngest daughter's over here. She knows all about me. But Jesus knows more about you than anyone else and still wants to be your friend. He's also done more for you than anyone else. John fifteen thirteen. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. The American Indian didn't have a word for friend. So they used this phrase to describe what our word for friend would mean. They would say, he who carries my sorrows on his back. And so a friend laughs when you laugh. A friend cries when you cry. Isaiah 53:4 states that he's, that's exactly what Jesus did. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He took the worst part of you and me, our sorrow and our sins, and he carried them for it to the cross and died for our sin. The wages of sin is death, and he did that for us. No one else can do that for you. No one else on earth who's ever lived can do that for you. That's why he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are a lot of great people. A lot of great people have existed in history, and they've said some pretty cool things from time to time. But no one else can do this for you except Jesus Christ. Amen. And lastly, he will always be there when you need him. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Some of you may remember James Taylor's song, when you're down and troubled, when you need a helping hand and nothing is going right, close your eyes and think of me and soon I'll be there to brighten up all your days. You just call out my name and you know wherever I am, soon I'll be there knocking. Well, I can tell you somebody who's knocking today, Jesus Christ. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I will come into him, and he with me forever. Some years ago, Collier Magazine published a story about a little girl in an orphanage. She was quite unattractive. She had a lot of annoying habits, and that resulted in her being shunned by the children, and the staff of the orphanage did not like her either. In fact, the director of the orphanage was looking for a good excuse to ship her off to some other institution. Now, for some time, it had been suspected that she was writing notes to people outside of the orphanage, And then one afternoon, their suspicions were confirmed when one of the children had just reported, I saw her write a note and hide it on a tree near the stone wall. So the director hurried to the tree, found the note, and the note said this, To whoever finds this, I love you. She wanted somebody to love her so much, she went outside the walls of her orphanage and left a note on a tree that said to whoever finds this, I love you. We're told in the Scripture that Jesus had no beauty or majesty to attract people to him Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. And the people of that day sought to get rid of him. So they took him outside the walls of the city and they nailed him to a tree. The cross. But to this day when people come to that tree, they still find a note that says to whoever finds this, I love you. Jesus loves you. I don't care how lonely you are or all the mistakes that you think you've made. The Lord says, I want to be your friend. In fact, he's more than a friend. He's our Savior. Make no mistakes about it. But he said, not only am I going to save you from your sins, but I'm going to walk with you from now on and I won't ever leave you and I'll always, always guide you the right way. If you don't know Jesus, you're missing out on the greatest friend you'll ever have. He knows everything about you. He knows your name. He knows everything you've done. He knows everything you're going to do. And yet He still loves you. And if you don't know Jesus... You'll never have this apart from Him. He's the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And you ask God to forgive you, and He will, and you you believe in your heart that Jesus died for our sins and God raised you from the dead, and you commit your life to Him, you're saved. And He washes you clean, and He lives in your life, and He accepts you, and He will be the greatest friend and Savior you've ever had. And you can do that right now. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I lift up those who right now feel like they are the loneliest person on earth because they don't have anybody. And I pray, Lord, that you will let them know how much you love them. And if they've never committed their life to you, that's the beginning place. That you will take them, that you know their name, you know everything about them. And you still want us. How incredible, Lord. I pray that people would respond to you, if they're watching online, if they see this on television, that they would respond to you. And thank you for a church. <laughs> it's got so many warm, friendly, loving people. Lord, help us to be friends to other people. Put friends in our lives, but help us to be a friend. I pray for those that need to be baptized. They have accepted you as their Savior, but they haven't let everybody know. Help them to have the courage to respond to you.